Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Welcome to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and this is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. Today, my guest is Shannon Ford. Shannon grew up in Washington, D.C., playing rock, jazz, blues, and country. He's performed with a variety of artists in New York, Nashville, and L.A., including Paul Simon, Larry Gatlin, and the Gatlin brothers, Phoebe Snow, Kenny Rogers, Danny Gatton, who's playing now. And Shannon has been on the Broadway Productions, Next to Normal, Chaplin, Godspell, and Beetlejuice. Hey, folks, begging your pardon. Excuse me, sorry to barge in. Now let's skip the tears and start on the whole, you know. Being dead thing, you're dead. Shannon and I had a really great conversation, so I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, Shannon Ford. All right, welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Shannon Ford, the legend, the king, the <laughs> and, and the queen. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Uh, I haven't talked to you in a while, and uh, we have a lot of catching up to do. Yes. I did some research on you. I, I realized that you were, were you born in Washington, D.C., or the Washington, D.C. area? I was not. I was born in Atlanta and grew up in Macon, Georgia, like the first four or five years of my life. And then um, my dad got a job at NASA, actually, and we moved to D.C. so uh, that he could pursue his career at NASA. And uh, so I grew up in D.C. So I just tell everybody I'm from D.C. It's so much easier. Have you gone back to Macon, Georgia? I have. And um, since I didn't know anybody there, I, mean, I have family there in, in that area. But, uh, yeah, I haven't met, spent much time there. But Atlanta, yeah. But uh, I haven't played much in Macon. Do they have a, uh, any kind of shrine to my man James Brown in uh, Macon, Georgia? They should. I'll yes, bet you they, they do, though. I'll bet you they do. Um, it's that and Almond Brothers. I think that's like some of their biggest, uh, you know, uh, Playing the fame. you know, James and, and Almond Brothers. So, um, but yeah, they, they ought to. Yes, making like, you know, I didn't know about making, of course, until I found out about James Brown. But uh, did you ever think that you'd ever get into NASA or following your father's footsteps? No. Not even close. I, I um, had gotten deep into the, the drumming at around 10, uh, but I always admired and was fascinated, you know, uh, by what he was doing. And we never missed a moon launch, you know, like in, because I grew up in the 60s, you know, and that's when he, 60s and 70s is when he worked for NASA. So we would always be around the TV anytime, you know. Um, anybody was landing on the moon or, you know, even uh, John Glenn was in orbit, any of that. Uh, I was absolutely um, fascinated by it, but it did not feel a need to, to go that direction. Are you still into it at all or do you, you know, look I kind of follow it, especially I'm around my dad a lot more because I'm in Florida and they're in Florida. So I see my parents a lot more. Um, but he kind of keeps me up to date on it. He's not really involved much anymore. He's been retired for years. Okay. But uh, yeah, man. I mean, he was a rock star. Yeah, NASA in the '60s, right? I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. 
that's when you wanted to be there. So yeah, he um, would send me like photographs from the Hubble Space Telescope and stuff like that, you know, when all that was going on too. That that was kind of exciting. So speaking of rock stars, did you? Yeah. What made you want to decide to play drums? Did you want to be a rock star or did you just say, you know what, I want to play Broadway shows when I grow older? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I did not um, gear um, myself for that. That just kind of came about. um, I think like many of us have that. I mean, many of us who came to New York prior to the last 10 years, I've seen more young people that want to do theater now, which I think is great. But no, my thing was just playing in bands. I saw Ringo on, on the Ed Sullivan show and I, you know, just saw live bands and I thought, I, I want to do that. That's cool and shiny and noisy and fun. So I, I want that. Um, I was like eight or nine years old. I, I just saw um, an actual drummer playing in a Dixieland band at a pizza joint. So, you know, I would just like be completely taken with that. Uh, so yeah, I, I got the fever like right around ten years old, really. And your parents got your drum set shortly afterwards. They did, yeah. Christmas got a a nice. It's a weird finish. It was a bass drum, a Ludwig bass drum, but it had that blue swirly thing, blue and silver swirls. You know, I really wish I still had that. But yeah, did you did you start out taking lessons and starting out on the pad? Yeah, I I was in school band. Okay. Um, and, Actually, fifth grade. I had to play clarinet in fourth grade because there were too many drummers signed up. Um, did that ever happen to you? Because uh, I hear that story a lot from from drummers who were in school band. I said, "Well, they, you know, I had to play something else the first year." I remember in high school playing in the band. It was like concert band, and I remember uh, remember saying to the band director because he's like, "You you drummers back there, could you guys you know keep it down?" I was like, "Excuse me, we're not drummers. We're percussionists." <laughs> well said. Little did I know that there's a big difference between just you know playing drums and and percuss- even though we were in the percussion section, I thought that being a percussionist was like a step higher. So yeah, we I was fortunate to be able to play in the. It's uh, just a longer word. It sounds better. <laughs> but the thing is, I have scientific. <laughs> yeah, right, right. More syllables. You're you're better. At. So I had a band director who actually said this. He said, all right, he was doing like sectionals in a band rehearsal one day. And he goes, okay, um, everybody drop out. Drums, drop out. Now, just the instruments. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's not right. That doesn't sound dignified at all. What's that that joke about, uh, you know, what do you call somebody that hangs out with musicians, a drummer? Yeah, unlike a percussionist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've made your point. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. A little tangent. So you in in junior high, you were in the, the band? Elementary band? school, man. Yeah. Elementary school. Wow. Yeah. Fifth grade. Um, and, uh, and then I got private lessons. Thank you, mom and dad, for getting me the private lessons and driving me there. Um, and because I was deep into it, you know, um, and deep into school band, uh, I was in drum corps, you know, a little later on. So, yeah, and then playing in bands, you know. So it was Ringo and who else? I don't know, Charlie Watts. Uh, There's a guy named Sandy Nelson who used to do, like, instrumental stuff in the 60s. Um, Teen Beat was this album uh, that I was listening to. He was kind of like a early surf rock and roll Gene Krupa kind of guy. And uh, so I was in, into that. And, of course, my dad had these big band records. So I was listening to Krupa and then um, would see Buddy Rich, like, on The Tonight Show and stuff like that, which would absolutely freak me out. You know, I, w- I would see him do that, those little solos, just 
get up from the desk and go do a solo, you know, with that band. And it was like, I want to quit. What, what <laughs> could I possibly do that would be cooler than what Buddy Rich just did? But, you know, that passed in a day or so. Playing Broadway musicals is cooler. That's all I That, mean. yeah. <laughs> what would Buddy have done in a Broadway musical? Oh, if my he, goodness. Can you imagine? It would have to have been a show about him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually a good idea. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you can make some Cut money here. Cut the tape. Because <laughs> someone will steal our idea. Yeah, man. I know. Now, I've, I've, I, on Facebook over the past years, I was like, you know, it'd be a good musical like Rush, 2112, the musical. And people were like, yeah. But then I yeah. started seeing like, yeah, Tina, uh, Jagged Little Pill. I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I should keep my ideas to myself. Absolutely should. Because yeah. 20, 2112 is... I, I wouldn't be able to play it, but I'd rather do like the uh, Mothership Connection, the Parliament Funkadelic music. That's a yes. <laughs> Space yes. is coming down. Anyway, I digress once again. Yeah, man. Good ideas, <laughs> all of them. Um, so you started taking lessons and you had various influences like Buddy Rich and Ringo Starr. And yeah. Then did you start your own band after that? Or did you have, were you in bands yeah. in high school? I never, I never really started my own. I was pretty much a sideman from day one. I was way more comfortable with being the hired gun, you know. So I was playing like three or four different bands, like one, like a country band over here, and like a progressive rock thing, you know, somewhere else, and then like a top forty, you know, cover band. Um, so I was playing as much and and as many styles as I could, uh, and and playing like jazz groups, you know, like um, lounge kind of jazz stuff. Um, and earning a living, actually, by 16. I was making money. Wow. You know, yeah. And I was in bars where I wasn't supposed to be. So, um, but fortunately, I had a little bit of um, mustache hair coming in right around that time. So I'd take my mom's uh, eyebrow thing, you know, and then paint in the mustache so I'd look older. So I wouldn't get busted and thrown out of the, the bar at 16. But yeah, I was, I was playing in bars. Did you... Uh uh, further your studies after that in music or did you just go out and tour or what did you do after high school? Well, I mean, I had really good teachers in high school who um, were also good connections. I grew, growing up in D.C. was great because um, all the service bands were there, you know, the Navy band, the, Mar the Marine Corps band, the Airmen Note from the Air Force, um, the Naval Academy band in Annapolis. So I was studying from all of those guys. So when I was studying with these players in high school, eventually they would turn me on to actual gigs, you know, um, because I got to a certain level where they trusted me, you know, to go play with some of their peers, and uh, which I did. So right out of high school, I was playing with this guy, Tim Ironman, who was a multi-reed uh, player. I mean, he played flute and, and piccolo and, and clarinet and alto and tenor saxophone all on the gig. So we had this band called East Coast Offering. In, around D.C. and we'd actually play um, fusion and make money doing it, <laughs> um, and which was amazing. Um, it was really it was like my college. You know, I didn't go to college or anything. So um, just playing with people older and better than me was my training ground. Like out of high school, that's something that a friend of mine told me years ago. He's like, always play with people that are better than you. Yeah, you'll, you'll learn from them and you'll get better in the process. 
Absolutely, man. So you were in fusion bands in the 70s? Yeah, I mean, I did all that, man, like prog rock stuff. Yeah, I mean, I played a lot of original music, which is why I suck in a cover band usually, because I never, I never did it that much, you know. I just don't know a bunch of tunes. I was always, you know, um, for better or worse, like working on original stuff with people. Do you still, um, are you still into fusion at all? Do you still play that kind of stuff? No, I don't. Um, uh, I it's, it's kind of like jazz. I don't play it that much, but I really admire the people who are good at it. So I would prefer to to listen rather than play it that much, you know. Uh, I found myself, and, and this was a result of actually being in Nashville all through the 80s, really appreciate great songwriting. And my default is just to work and create music with a good songwriter. Or in a band where the, the original music is happening and you're, you're creating it together, you know. But I, I prefer to do that. Did you live in Nashville for a while? I did, yeah, 84 to 92. Did you do a lot of session work there? A little bit. I did a little bit, a lot of demos. Uh, but mostly I was on the road with the Gatlin Brothers. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, so tell, me about, tell me about the Gatlin Brothers. Tell me about Danny yeah. Gatlin. How did you get connected with them? I, I was playing with uh, Roger Miller, and Roger Miller, uh, many theater people may know, that uh, wrote Big River. He was a composer of Big River, but prior to that, he was kind of a country pop star in the 60s and early 70s. He had a, a song, King of the Road, and a bunch of silly country songs that he would do, but he was a great, great Nashville songwriter, and uh, so I was working with Roger for about three or four years, and uh, we opened for the Gatlin Brothers in Tahoe. They just happened to be looking for a new drummer, and they would see me play, liked what I did, and they offered me the job. So in May of 84, uh, I said yes to that. And wow. so got on that tour bus in 200 days a year for seven, over seven years, really. I was playing poker and eating junk food and playing gigs with the Gatlin Brothers. Well, you played on some uh, legendary records. I can't remember the, the title of it. Uh, Elmira Street? Is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah, 88 Elmira Street with Danny Gatton. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, some people get the Gatlin brothers, Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin brothers, confused with Danny Gatton because the name, last names are similar. But I played with both of those acts. Uh, yeah, so Danny's thing was, uh, he was a D.C. guy. Wait, so Danny Gatton. And yeah, Danny Gatton is a guitar player out of D.C. Larry Gatlin is a country songwriter, singer. Uh -huh. And has Gatlin Brothers. So, yeah, it can be confusing. It was confusing yes. for me for many years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's two different acts, but I, I played with both of those acts. Now, Danny's thing was he was this telly player, amazing kind of under-recognized uh, telly player who passed away in the early 90s. And, um, but he was kind of my mentor. Like I said, he taught me to play a shuffle. Um, and, yeah, we would play around D.C. We did a couple records for Elektra. Uh, one of them was that 88 Elmira Street. Um, so, yeah, he, he was an important figure in my musical life. Being on tour for so many years, what did you learn uh, from all those years of touring? What was what, the biggest takeaway from those years? Um, be consistent. You know, even on days you don't feel like playing, you know, you have to give 100% every single time you sit down. Um, because there are some days, you know, like day, you know, 300 of like being on a tour. It's like, I really don't feel good. and I really don't feel like doing this today, but you have to kind of remember how lucky you are to be able to do that. 
Uh, and so that, that's a discipline that, that really stuck with me. Um, yeah, just, you know, bring it every single time you play. Because touring is grueling, and anybody's ever done it, you know, whether it's a Broadway show or a band, you know, on a big fancy tour bus or in the back of a van, you know, sleeping on the, the Leslie speaker cabinet, any of that stuff. It, it's grueling. It'll kick your butt. And um, there are days you don't feel like doing it, you know. So I, I was able to uh, navigate that, and, and I learned a lot. And it's also about um, getting along with people, you know, being a good uh, team player. You know, because it's like working on a submarine, like theaters. It's like you're you're working on a submarine. It's a confined space. You see the same people every day, and and uh, you must get along. The get the Gatlin brothers are they still around? Yeah, they still um, do a little bit of touring, but they're pretty much retired from that. Um, Larry Gatlin will do. Uh, he's the the older brother. He wrote all the songs, and he was the lead singer. Uh, he will still do occasional uh, singles. You know. Like, he'll go out with a guitar, you know, and just do his own thing. But, yeah, man, the Gatlins still make, make music. After the touring thing, you moved to New York City. Did you still tour? Yes, after I you, did. You still uh, toured after you moved up? A little bit, yeah. I mean, the Gatlins had a theater. They got into this thing where they had a theater in South Carolina. So, I don't know if that's touring or not, but I would leave New York to go play with those guys. And... um and I toured a couple of shows. I mean, I like, did the beautiful tour for a you know, better part of a year. Uh, and just various show tours here and there. But not, not many bands after that. What brought you to New York? Alice Ripley. Aha. So tell me about uh, how you connected with her and, uh, and what brought you to New York with her. Well, Alice and I, no, not many people know this. And this is a, a, kind of a silly story. But you know that show Hee Haw? Yes. Yes. It's kind of a country burlesque show, really. And it, was, it ran forever. Alice and I met on the final season of Hee Haw, because I was in Nashville. The Gatlins had retired from touring, so I was looking for a gig. So I got hired um, by Charlie McCoy, who was the band leader, uh, to play the, the final season of Hee Haw. I was the house drummer. Oh, and wow. Alice uh, was in Nashville trying to pursue a career as a songwriter, because Alice is a very good songwriter. Uh, so she was there, um, had moved there from San Diego. She was in Nashville, and she was hired as a hee-haw honey. So <laughs> I know. Here's to that. <laughs> hee-haw honey. I got to look back That's at those and, and yeah. see. Let that sink in, Clayton. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I married a hee-haw honey. So, yeah, so I got together. We did the 13 weeks, you know, of the season, and um, it ended. And so she said, well, I'm moving to New York. And I said, ah, I, I like it here in Nashville. I don't want to go because I had put down some roots there, you know, and I was like looking to do more session work. But um, fell in love with Alice. And um, I said, well, I'm going with you. So I did. I'm in um, January 92. We moved to New York together. And um, then she st her career started taking off like pretty much immediately because she had an agent already. So, and I kind of um, explored the theater world through her. Um, my entry level into that was quite a bit different probably than, than many other players because I started getting to know um, directors, choreographers, other actors, you know, just through um, socially, you know, through her um, as, she, as her, her career progressed. And um, 
And I said, well, I could probably do this. I read, uh, I play a variety of styles. This is interesting to me. I want to learn how to do this. So, um, yeah, my first show, she was doing Tommy. My first show was Tommy. And um, Luther Ricks, the drummer in Tommy at that time, um, had asked me, have you ever done a Broadway show? And I said, no, but I know the who. You know, I know, I know what that sounds like. So he said, all right, I'll give you a shot. And God bless him. He gave me a shot. And Joe Church, the conductor, was really, really helpful. You know, I, I credit him with teaching me how to do a, a Broadway show, you know, uh, and all the mistakes you can make and all that. So my first show was, was Tommy. So how did you prepare for that, not knowing how, you know, what it takes to actually sub a Broadway show? What was your approach to it? Uh, my approach to it was uh, to just play it every day uh, in real time. I got into this thing because I'd watch, you know, when, when, I don't know if many people know this, but you go and when you're going to sub a show, you go and watch the guy in the pit, watch him do the show as many times as you can, really. And I got the charts. He gave me copies of the charts. And in those days, you would go in with a cassette player and record him playing the show. And which isn't the best. It's better now because we have, you know, in-ear monitors and mixers and things. But I recorded Luther playing the show. I learned it that way. And I would play it um, every night that I could in real time. I would wait till 8 o'clock and pretend that I was actually doing it. So my body got into this rhythm of it's 8 o'clock, you know, it's time to play Tommy. So I would practice it, you know. And uh, I think that was really helpful for me, actually, getting my body into this rhythm of uh, virtually playing the show, rehearsing the show at 8 o'clock. What was your first experience like? Was it... Uh, Terrifying. You know, <laughs> a friend of mine says uh, subbing a Broadway show is like a two-and-a-half-hour heart attack. It is. You know what it's like, it was like for me, because I was new at it, and it still is this way uh, to some extent, it's like one of those video games or like when you're at the arcade and you're trying not to run off the road, you know, and you, and you do, <laughs> and, and bad no and ugly noises happen and you run off the road. Well, that, yeah, it's a heart attack and, and you're in an arcade trying not to run off the, the virtual road. Um, yeah, it, it was a level of concentration that I had never experienced before. You know, and a mind game. Um, again, it still is that, um, and I think many people who have sub shows would agree. It most of it is mental. You know, because you prepare if you've got any sense at all, you prepare as much as you can. But once you get in that environment of the actual show, it you start. At least I would start noticing things of like, man, it's kind of cold in here. It's colder than when I watched it. You know. It was it this dark when I watched the show? You know, because you're sitting at the guy's drums now, you know, and you're not playing along. You are the guy, you know. So I would start noticing all these little things. It's like, why is this Tom angled this way? Wouldn't it be, you know, and you start picking everything apart. So obviously that could be a distraction. So I learned over time to just really focus on the task at hand and ignore all the things within the environment that would take me out of it. Um, and that took a while. So, I mean, that, that one thing uh, is the takeaway that I, that I would love to share with other people. It's like when you sub a show, just be aware that there are elements to it when you actually do your first show or your second or your third that maybe there's a subconductor, maybe there's an understudy on that day that's going to change the, the tempo of something, you know, unless it's on a click and then, you, you know, or just be ready maybe for an extra long vamp here and there. You know what I'm talking about. It's like there are so many um, 
moving parts to a show that any of them could change at any given moment. So I learned to be prepared for that and aware that could happen. You know, one of the last subs of the uh, the show that I that I'm on, he's going to be doing the tour, and he was telling me I, I can't remember exactly the 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 entire story, but he was subbing the show and I'm in a drum booth and I get air pumped in with an air conditioner. And for some strange reason that day on his first show, the air conditioner broke. So at halftime, not halftime during intermission, I guess he came out drenched because there was, it was so hot in there. You know, you think about the things that you're talking about, you got to concentrate. It's like, man, the symbols over here and, and and this and that, but then, it's boiling hot on top of that. But so he had to plow through and get through the show. Yeah. And he, he knocked it out the park. And that's one of the reasons why he's doing the tour right now. But cool. it's just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong or that you can, that, that you don't think about that can happen when right. you're stubbing. Yeah. It's all about the environment, man. I mean, you just gotta be ready for that because it, it's not if it's when. Yes. You know, it will, it will happen and it will massive with you if you are not prepared for that so you did tommy that was your first I show did, tommy. did you mm-hmm. sub any other shows after that i did yeah i started subbing at cats for ron tierno um which was a, obviously a completely different experience uh, i think i did a pretty good job there because i got asked back but um i i mentioned this to you um in a previous conversation uh and i would like to share this it's not I don't know if it's good to advertise this or not, but dude, I got fired as a sub three separate times when I was learning to do this. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um, now, can you tell me why? Um, because I was not prepared. I was um, inexperienced. Uh, each one was a different circumstance. Um Generally, it was like I was not that adept at uh, following a conductor. You know, it took me the longest time to um, do well at following the conductor. And, you know, as you know, I mean, as drummers, we are trained to be in charge of the, the time and the, the tempo and any any fluctuations in it, really. We're kind of that's on us. Well, not so much in the conductor theater situation. Um I had trouble following conductors and, and relinquishing that responsibility or having that symbiotic relationship that a conductor-drummer need to have. Um, it just took me a while, you know. And one, actually, I did, um, what was it, uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman that was kind of a difficult show and had a lot of odd time stuff in it. And I just simply blew one of the, the measures, you know, like messed it up and couldn't get back on track for a few bars. So that got me canned. Um, yeah, Showboat with Eric Stern, who, to, to his credit, man, Eric Stern is a great conductor, and he gave me every opportunity to get it right, and I just never really connected with him like he wanted me to. And, but he's really cool about it. You know, he says, man, it's just not, not working. You know, and it was heartbreaking, but it was like, I, at that time, I really appreciated the fact that he was um, honest with me about it, you know. Uh, and then there was like a, one other thing, which is another example of just not connecting well with the conductor. You know, sometimes that happens. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, and you, and you have to. It has to be right because that guy is up there. And it's, this also took me a long time to, to figure out. 
that guy's up there dealing with a hundred more things that you can that you can even imagine. You know, he's dealing with maybe there's an understudy, maybe this guy person missed their their cue, or they got a hold. You know, and maybe they're you know something went wrong with the stage stuff. You know, the hydraulics didn't work on the thing, so you got a hold. So I became more aware of what conductors have to deal with as I as I learned to do this. So I, that's also really important to consider and to be aware of. Did you uh, land your first Broadway show shortly after subbing around town or yeah yeah it was uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn the musical ah yeah and you know again as I think about it it was really um, John McDaniel hired me to do it in Denver we went to uh, Denver to do an out-of-town run of the thing but I had known uh, John McDaniel socially through Alice actually but um, but he also knew that I was subbing different shows and I was um, capable of doing it. So yeah, he hired me to go out to Denver to do the thing. Uh, we did it out there on V drums, which was a trip. But um, and then when it came to Broadway, uh, James Sampleiner was the MD. So yeah, I uh, I worked with James on on that. That was my first show. Did you have V drums at Brooklyn in New York? No, that was real drums. With okay. Roger Scatero, by the way, playing percussion. Oh, really? Yeah, Roger played percussion on that. Ah, wasn't that supposed to be like the next Rent type of thing? That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it they was, couldn't uh, pay the rent, I guess, for two Yeah, months. we couldn't pay the rent. And the producer <laughs> said, now nah, get out. Um, no, but it had you know, an okay run. It was fun to do. Very educational, you know, and fun. A really great hang. You know, Putnam was on guitar, you know, and... Erio is playing bass. It's just good people that I continue to work with to this day, you know. After Brooklyn, then what was the next show that you did? Well, I mean, I did, um, was it Next to Normal? I took over for Damien Bassman and Next to Normal. Okay. I think that was actually my, my next one that I did on Broadway. Sure it was. Well, did you sub on that show? I, I did. I, yeah, I subbed for Damien. He, he taught me the show, and, uh, and, and he was moving to Adam's Family. Yes. And so, uh, again, uh, I knew the MD, Charlie Alterman, uh, for some other things that we did. I actually met Charlie at, at Brooklyn. So, yeah, he was the MD. So um, I approached him and said, man, I would, I would love to take over for this, you know. Um, so I did. So I did it for a better part of a year. And then uh, we, Alice and I did the tour as well. So I got to know that book really well, which is a, such a great book, man, to Damien's credit. He he wrote, he created a really amazing book for that show. Were you part of a workshop of a show that has gone on to become a Broadway show that you created the drum part? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done a bunch of off-Broadway off, off stuff as well. Like, um, I did a show called Bright Lights, Big City that never really did that much. But um, I'm trying to think of, uh, well, a Chaplin. You know, I originated the book for Chaplin. Uh, that was uh, on Broadway for a short period of time, and Hands on a Hard Body, and uh, certainly Beetlejuice. God, Godspell? And uh, Godspell. I didn't, well, yeah, how do you approach Godspell? Because have you, do you originate the book for Godspell? You kind of don't, do you? It's like a revival. Yeah. But we did our version of it, you know? How different was your version than the original? Um. Our version was a little more contemporary um, uh, musically because, um, I mean, the, you listen to the original one, it's very 70s, you know. Um, some of the things were quite similar, but uh, I would say that um, 
certainly the staging was different. They had me up in one of those uh, booths um, above the stage. You know when you go to the carnival and you throw the ball at the clown and he falls into <laughs> the thing? They had you up there with the... I was the clown, to, yeah, that he threw the ball out. And, and, but it looked really cool with the lighting and everything, but I always felt like that guy, like somebody could just throw a ball and sink me into a tub of water. Um, so, yeah, that, and you had to climb a ladder to get up to the thing, too. So that's what I remember um, mostly about that show is, the again, the environment, you know. And I always felt bad for my subs because some of them were going, i got to climb a ladder to sub your show. Some of them were not into that at all. But, yeah, you were in this little enclosed space. But, yeah, I would say musically, which is the question you asked, um, musically it was a lot more uh, contemporary. Um, yeah, I think it rocked a bit harder than the original. Tell me how you connected with Paul Simon and Phoebe Snow and Kenny Rogers. It's one of those things uh, of just networking. I mean, one gig leads to another, and one relationship leads to another, leads to another, and... Um, Yes, how did I end? Okay, the, the timeline of that is uh, Danny Gatton. I was playing with Danny, uh, and one of his friends, our friends, was um, Arlen Roth. Arlen Roth used to do those Hot Licks videos before there was, like, YouTube or any of that stuff. He would put out video cassettes of educational videos. Arlen is also a brilliant guitar player and a friend and a fan of Danny's. So I started playing with Arlen through my connection with Danny. Arlen is Paul Simon's guitar teacher. So I get a call one day and says, hey, man, you want to do some workshop stuff with Paul Simon for this musical that he's writing? It's called Cape Man. And so, uh, yeah, I got called to do that. Um, Paul was looking for someone uh, to do a little more Americana-style drumming. Uh, so it ended up being me and Robbie Amin, who is just a, a brilliant all-around musician and drummer, and um, he, Robbie was kind of doing all the Puerto Rican authentic Latin-y kind of stuff and I was doing the you know the, the country-ish train beat kind of stuff you know uh, the, the folksier stuff so um, that's how I got that gig because I started working on Cape Man with him and um, that went to Broadway Robbie ended up doing the, the, the chair on Broadway but I would sub for Robbie but then after that I started doing songwriter uh, like projects with Paul because he was writing a, um, an, an album, um, it's like You're the One or something, I forget the name of the album, but anyway, he was writing this new album and I was doing all the rehearsals for it, which Steve Gadd ultimately recorded, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to get replaced, you might as get, well, get replaced by Gadd, right? Exactly. So, yeah. It's like, yeah. And that's how I met him, actually, um, it was when he was in the studio doing the actual album. Oh, wow. Paul. Yeah, I met my hero the day he took my gig. <laughs> did you watch him play? I did, man. It was cool. It was really mm. cool. Yeah, and he played his drums, which was also, you know, huge. That's great. Um, and just asked him about, you know, tuning and stuff like that. And we had a long discussion about uh, back pain, actually. That's my brush with greatness was me and Gad talking about back pain and how to deal with I was, it. I was talking to Matt Vanderen about Wicked and him playing that show and he had some uh, physical problems uh, due to the fact that he took over for Gary Seligson and the, the drum set was a, a, a different um, measurement than what would be right for him since he's taller. And he said he had to adjust his playing. And eventually, you know, a lot of people have carpal tunnel sometimes and have mm -hmm. you know, tinnitus or other things. What did you do or what have you done to try to avoid injuries by playing in your instrument? 
Well, I, I was fortunate enough to have um, a training uh, from a rudimental drummer. Um, my, my first drum teacher, actually, Dick Bonifant, uh, was very much into Rudim and still is. I, he lives like an hour and a half from where I am right now, and I still see him. Um, but I owe everything to Dick Bonifant because he gave me a solid rudimental training. And he would be very um, watchful of my hand technique early on. Uh, and he got me playing uh, properly and uh, stressed relaxation. Uh, you know, the faster you go, the more relaxed you should be, you know, or the more difficult something is, approach it from a relaxed point. Because I think we humans tend to go, if we approach something that is, is intimidating or difficult, we kind of tense up, and I'm going to get this thing. But he put me in the other direction, you know. He says that that's not how to approach it. So I had very good training, um, rudimental training, which... Um, I actually pass on today. I teach still, and uh, I make sure all of my students have good t hand technique, and that's for me priority one. You know, because a lot of them want to come in and just, you know, do blast beats or play all this fast stuff. And slow down. Take take the pad, put it on the snare drum. Here we get a single stroke roll, double strokes. You know, now up oh, your little tense there. Let's let's get rid of the tension. Stop. You know, so I, I stress that. So the, the answer to that would be just really stress, good hand technique, ease into it, you know. Pommy Igo actually was, is, has a lot of valuable information. I think he has a video about soft hands, you know, um, approaching the, your technique from a soft perspective. What advice would you give someone who's interested in playing Broadway shows? I would say, um, and I have actually mentored a couple of people, and I'm, I'm getting more and more... Um, questions and, and um, inquiries about that from younger people like getting out of college or people who, who want to um, come to New York and pursue this. Um, I give them a, the advice of um, keep a low overhead because it's New York. You know, get a good place to live. Get your little oasis happening um, because it can be a very stressful, uh, intimidating, troublesome place to live on occasion. Um, so keep a low overhead. Get a good place to live. Um, Get a rehearsal studio somewhere you can actually play real drums, you know. Um, and I tell them, do every gig you can get your hands on. You know, it, it's really, uh, the Broadway thing, I think, is about community more than anything else. Get yourself involved in the community uh, and get to know composers. Get to know um, musical directors, you know, uh, however that, whatever that means to you. Um, do workshops of things, you know, for low bread if you have to. You know, um, sub for people. Now, find out who is receptive, you know, to a stranger reaching out to them, because not all of us are. Uh, I actually am. I, I welcome that uh, to a certain degree. But um, find out who will talk to you, you know, and who you can go watch play their show in a pit. Again, you know, not everyone is, is about that. And that's okay, but find out about those who are. Um, and you'll get a lot of valuable information just from sitting in a pit and watching someone play their show. If you know? somebody wants um, to um, inquire about uh, watching you play or me play, how would you recommend them going about it? Well, social media. I mean, so many of us are on social media. You can message them, you know, the Facebook Messenger. Um, it's also one of those things of like somebody knows somebody who knows me, you know. I, I just get email. I have a website with my email on it, you know. Seek that out, those kinds of things. Um, and, yeah, do, 
social media, I think, really helps a lot. You know, uh, people's websites, things like that. That's a good way to connect with people. Let me ask you um, a, a kind of a personal question. Is there some way, somebody that has contacted you and kind of been, kind of turned you off? It's like, I don't know if I want this person to come watch me play. It, did they ask you in a way that you're like, I don't know about this person? Yeah, not yet. But Larry Lilly actually has some good stories about that. Um, I'm sure it's happened to other people, but... Uh, I know that it's happened with Larry. You know, he, he actually posted something one time about that. And it, things not to do, you know, when you're approaching someone to sub. Uh, but I have not experienced it. Everyone, every single person that's approached me about this has been respectful and, and professional, you know, and earnest. You know, I, um, I really feel lucky about that because I know those, there are people out there who just don't, don't get it, you know, and are, are full of all this bravado and say, I'm badass and I will play the show better than anybody and it's like yeah it's easy now this community man and this surprised me frankly um because you might many people have this perception of new york as being cutthroat and my god you know we're you know shooting each other in the head and everything's on fire and it's just chaos but then this particular community is one of the most welcoming supportive communities i've ever been involved in you know, and that includes Nashville, that includes L.A., you know, my D.C., where I grew up, man. This community, it's almost like it's, it, we're at war, but we're, you know, we're bonding together to keep each other alive and keep each other safe and keep each other moving forward. And that's that's real. At least my experience has been that Yeah. Uh, in the 28 years that I've been in New York. Um, a word about a friend of ours. You may know Josh Samuels. Yes. Josh Samuels is a great drummer, great percussionist, a good man, and a, a good friend of mine. Two things about Josh Samuels is um, this thing that you mentioned about the competition. Uh, I'm about to go in on a, actually a new chapter in my musical career. I'm going to audition for the Radio City Christmas show, which I have never done. I've never kind of gotten around to it. It was, wasn't anything that was particularly in a hurry to do, although uh, I'm, I know it's going to be good for me. It's going to kick my butt because it's an incredibly difficult, you know, highly requires a certain set of skills. It's a dance show, like the ultimate dance show, really. So I'm going in for this, and so is Josh. And Josh has done it for years. And I called him, I said, man, um, what do I need to know for this audition I'm going in? He gave me the details, even though he and I are both competing for the drum chair. And competing is not even the right word at, at this level. It's what you're talking about. We were both um, going in for the drum chair, you know. And I said, man, I, I really appreciate your help on this um, because I know that you're going for it as well. But he's also going for the percussion book because he's that good, you know. Um, but he said, man, yeah, just remember this. It's like we're all keeping each other alive here. We're all supporting each other. Exactly what you said, Clayton, about um, – you know, if, if you don't get it or I don't get it, we can sub for each other, you know. It's, and also, it's an honor. It's an honor to, um, to be selected to audition for this thing. It just is. You know, look at it that way and then go in and do, do the audition. And no matter what happens, it's, it's a positive thing. You know, it's not like I won, you lost kind of deal. It's like, oh, okay, you got it, so let's restructure this and now I'll sub for you and, and good congratulations. And... That's how things are from my perspective in this community. You know, and there's competition, yeah, but it's it's a healthy competition, and 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 you you need to think on a larger scale. 
You know, it's just, I didn't get this, damn that guy that did. It's no, that guy is going to need subs, you know. And so you pat him on the back and say, well done, man. You know, um, if you need subs, let me know. That's how things are going. I just remember knowing how people treated me when I was trying to get into this community. I know people that pushed me away, but I also know people that welcomed me into it. And Mm -hmm. when people welcome you in, you remember that because hopefully you'll get your own show. Then, like you said, you'll be able to use them. There are times where uh, you're going to need someone to sub for you and they're going to need someone to sub for them. So it's like you said, it's a healthy competition, but it's also a support system at the same time. And the thing about what we do, there's only about 20 shows, 20 musicals. So there's only 20 drum chairs. There's 20 of us. And it's a very elite group. But at the same time, we kind of all know each other and we all know the great subs and we all know the people under them. But we all need each other in this ecosystem. And, and if you need somebody, it's like, well, who's, who's one of the drum subs over there? Like I, I heard a story from Matt Vanderen when Sean McDaniel was, was playing like 11 shows at one time. Then he got his own show. People were like, oh, shit, I need a new sub. And then there's a whole, there's 11 subs that can get put into this ecosystem. So, again, we all kind of need each other and look for each other to find out what's going on. So, anyway, Tom Oldakowski used to be the drummer for Radio City. I don't know if he's still there or not. Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I remember in 2006, I was trying to sub, and I didn't have a show at that time, and... uh I went to watch Tom Oldakowski. He's like, man, look, Radio City, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like you're going to be Vinny Caliuta up in here. You're going to be playing stuff that's different from something that you're probably used to doing. So I went to go see him. I was sitting up there and, you know, watching Radio City and 6,000 people and the, the stage goes up and I'm looking behind the scenes and there's there's animals and there's tap dancers and and skaters and all kind of stuff and Little people, I'm like, oh my God, this is just overwhelming to me. So I, just, I was about to learn that, and I got the recording for it. I don't know if you've ever heard the Radio City uh, show, the music at all. Yeah, no, I have ag- excerpts for this audition, actually. And there's, there's, I don't know if it's like that now, but they had a count for like each measure, like 136. I know, still <laughs> 38, I'm like, oh my God. Mm. So at the same time, I was learning the color purple. I was going to sub for Buddy Williams. So it was either Radio City or the color purple. I was like, uh, I'm doing the color purple. <laughs> right. Fortunately, yeah. I was that able was to do thing. that. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. It's like Radio City. Yeah, it would be good for me to learn it and learn that skill. But oh, here's this thing that's uh, <laughs> more more my style, really. You right. Know? Um, but I mean, it is. I'm very much looking forward to doing it because it is going to kick my ass. So yes. and, and I do need a kicking. So um, it's not yeah, easy. Uh, it is not easy, man. It's a dance show. I admired, first of all, dancers. God, they're, they're superhuman. But uh, drummers who do the dance thing really well, like Tom, you know, um, or anybody who plays that sh- particular show successfully. It, it's really a different skill. And, yeah, hey, young drummers, ch- check that out. I mean, that's something that you've never experienced before. You know, the dance thing is completely different from, it's not about so, so much playing grooves or not about anything other than, supporting those dancers up there on that stage you know well, that that's well, priority one one thing about uh josh he contacted me when i was at 
uh, altar boys. And he, uh, he reached out to me. We went to, to lunch and he was eager to get in and he seemed like a really good, cool guy. And I had moved on to do Memphis, the musical. And one of my subs, Mo Roberts wound up taking over the chair and Josh eventually wound up subbing for Mo and they had a great relationship. And then when I found out that Josh got his own show with Beetlejuice, I think that was his first Broadway show, correct? Yeah. Yeah. He and played percussion there with me. Yeah. And I was so happy. And the thing about yeah. it, like you said, that's like, I'm more happy to see people finally get their, their, their chance to be a Broadway musician. It's, it's fantastic yeah. because I know how great a gig it is. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way about that particular guy, about Josh, man. And I will tell all young people who are, want to do this, talk to Josh Samos because he did it right. He, Josh came to me as well and respectfully you know, presented himself as somebody who could do the job. You know, he, and he said, please give me a shot. It was Godspell. He wanted to sub for me at Godspell. I didn't know him from, from Adam. Get that? See what I did there? Godspell, Adam. <laughs> the whole thing. Although that's New Testament, but whatever. Um, but I didn't know Josh, man. He came to me and he said, yeah, please let me sub for you on this show. I've done this and that, and, and I'll do a great job. I'll be the best sub. You know, It wasn't an arrogant thing. It was like, I will do a good job for you. I will make you look good. And so I gave him a shot, man. He ended up being one of my uh, – be careful, Shannon. Be one of my best subs. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he did, man. He did an, uh, just an outstanding job. And the M- Charlie, the MD, loved him, and yeah. So Josh did it right and continues to do it right. So that's why he's successful. And, yeah, we had the best time in the Beetlejuice pit. So I, I really hope that we get a chance to do that again soon. So tell me about Beetlejuice and how you uh, approached that show and approached the book. Obviously, you, did you write the book pretty much? I created the book. As far as I know, I mean, there were other players who did various workshops of it. I'm not don't remember exactly who, but I mean, you know, that's the way this works. So there's so many incarnations, so many workshops and developmental um, presentations of a show that there might be five or six drummers who do the thing before you ever get your hands on it. Um, but yeah, there, there were a couple versions of, of workshops and presentations of uh, Beetlejuice prior to me getting my hands on it. Um, Chris Kukul, who you worked with that's correct. at the Old Globe Theater doing um, the, the, um, Last goodbye. Last goodbye. Yeah, that, was that cool? I bet that was really. Right. I tell you, the, one of the whole things about networking—that's how we connected. Because yeah. you you hurt your foot, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, had a foot injury. And I don't know how my name got thrown in there, but it was the. Uh, Clayton Craddock. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like, who else could do this show? Clayton. Clayton. <laughs> The director came up to me and, he, you know, I was just sitting there reading the book and then during a break and he came up to me, he said, hi, my name is Alex. I'm like, hey, hey, dude. <laughs> Not realizing who he was, but that's probably a good thing. I don't want to like, oh, my God, this is I forgot his last name, but he's a great director. He wound up doing uh, Rocky and, and Beetlejuice. Yes. Great guy. The thing about him, I just remember him and Sonia, I can't remember her last name, but she's, she went on to finally be the choreographer for Moulin Rouge. And I look up and I was like, oh my God. Right. So you run into people from time to time. And then Chris, I met him through you and then going out to the Old Globe. Yeah. So you're going to run into people from time to time. It's always good to be nice to people and, 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 and 
know how to work together with people because eventually, you, again, your your reputation will get around. And if you're easy to work with and you get yes. the job done, it could lead to many other things. But Chris was great to work with. And I was so, I, you know, I, unfortunately, I know you were supposed to do that gig, but I'm thankful that I did because I realized how beautiful San Diego is. I don't know if you. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. The old globe. Oh, it's yeah. what a great oh, experience. Yeah. I did um, Almost Famous out there uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Blast. I forgot about that. Yeah. So anyway, Clayton, yeah. Chris Kukul yes. called me to do Beetlejuice. And I did some workshops of it. We did it out of town in D.C. So, yeah. Also, Alex Timbers is Timbers. our mystery director. Yes. Alex Timbers. A yes. brilliant director. Yeah, so much fun to work with. So, yeah. Um, you know, this thing about giving it 100% every time you sit down, you know, like you just mentioned, like, dude, you don't know who's around or don't know who's in the room, but be nice to everyone and treat everyone with respect. But the thing about playing well all the time, no matter where you are or what time of day it is, I mean, it can be two o'clock in the morning on Bleecker Street and some blues joint, right? One thing I learned for two people stand out, one is Gary Seligson and one is Sean Pelton. I, every time I've watched Gary Seligson play anything, he is 100% passionately involved with every note of that music. And that really struck me. And that's something that I absorbed from, from being around Gary. Um, he's just one of those. I mean, sure, you know, we all do, you know. Um, but that, seeing him do um, a tour, Alice was touring uh, Les Mis. And Gary was the drummer. And I would go out and visit Alice on the road and sit with Gary watching him do the show. And he just blew me away. Like every single performance, you know, he was in it. And, and same thing, man. I used to play all these blues joints when I first moved to New York. And Sean Pelton and I were running up and down Bleecker Street playing with blues bands, you know. I mean, I literally passed Sean wheeling his trap case, you know, to another gig. And I was on my way to one. And I would go watch him play, man, with, you know, five people in the audience. And it's one o'clock in the morning, you know. And he brought that shit. He just it was brilliant, you know. And he always does that. You know, he's just completely engaged. So um, that's something that really um, affected me, especially with my journey in New York. You know, no matter what time of day, no matter what club you're in or, you know, where you're playing or who is, how many people are in the audience, just do, do your A stuff every time. Because it, it matters, you know. What's the most difficult show that you've played on so far in New York City? Most Miss difficult Saigon. Really? Yeah. What made it so difficult? Uh, Well, I subbed for Howie Joins, uh, who gave me the opportunity, thanks Howie, for for subbing on that show. It was the drum book, because there's a drum book and a percussion book. It was um, a lot of odd time stuff, a lot of um, mallet choreography, because there's like a bunch of gongs and, you know, specific gongs to, you know, cues and things like that. Um, So up to that point, I had never done a, a show that had so many different things you had to hit. Okay. As a matter of fact, one of my finest moments was hitting a gong with a um, brass bell mallet. Yeah, I picked up the wrong mallet, and it was just like, oh my god, I'm going to miss the cue. I picked up something, and I hit this gong, and it was a brass bell mallet. So that's a pretty sound, Clayton. I gotta say. (laughs) Oh man, it was. (laughs) (laughs) And the conductor, Bob Billick, I guess. I don't. I don't remember who it was, but the conductor just kind of, you know, he's used to it, man. He played the thing. So I mean, he's he's just like he just finally went. (laughs) (laughs) And that's. I didn't give a note about it or anything. He's like, "Yeah, you you screwed up. 
I know it. You know it. I forgot about notes. When you sub a show, oh, no. you get notes. I didn't even bring that up. So you notes. want notes, like you want yeah. notes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. At first, I used to go, man. Why get a life, man? Why are we talking about the show? The show's over. Like, uh, yeah. All right. I'll whatever. You know, I, I would maybe that's why I got fired three times. But I, <laughs> you, you do want notes. Um, it used to bug me a little bit. It was like I'm, I'm just. I just subbed the show. I'm a nervous wreck. I just really want to drink and I just want to leave the building, you know, but yeah, you, I would get these notes and it would be like, it took me a while to really appreciate the note thing. They are essential. You know, the, the guy's on your side, you know, whether it appears that way or not, you know, he may be saving his own ass or just, you know, just trying to, but he's helping you, man. He's trying to help you become part of the whole thing, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think you want the note. I think it's fascinating with certain musical directors. A uh, guy named William, I don't, I can't remember his last name, but he was on Cats, the last revival of Cats, and I was subbing for Bill Lanham. And mm-hmm. we'd get through the entire show, and he'd be like, uh, yeah, on Mr. Mistopheles, uh Measure 62, the second half, could you please do a, a crescendo? I'm like, oh, my God, how do you remember that? And I remember I screwed up on that. But they're right. like so detail oriented and you have to make sure that you pay attention to those details because they do matter. They absolutely do. And the guy's done the show 8,000 times, you know? Right. So, you know, it's like, Oh, here comes man. I hope this guy gets this right. He's a sub. Nope. He blew it. So right. I mentioned that and they get their little sticky note and they're conducting and they write the little thing while they're Yes. Oh my so, God. <laughs> I remember oh, one time. And, you go, <laughs> and they go, is that for me? Yeah, exactly. Is he writing about me? <laughs> I, I remember subbing for Rich Mercurio at Little Shop of Horrors and Henry Aronson was the musical director and, and he was great at taking and at note taking too and giving them to the subs. So I remember like a couple times in as you know, I'd look up at him because I told him it's like sometimes I get nervous when you pick up your pad. I think you're writing it for me. So one time uh, I was like, I think I might have said it in the mic or something like that. I said, is that for me? And he went like, <laughs> and he of course he didn't write anything but i was like oh my god well, don't pick up that pad please don't pick up the pad so you try That's to the goal, exactly the, the goal of the sub is to not have your musical director give you too many notes the, the fewer notes that you right. get the better you're doing you come in and you play the show and you Absolutely. leave you're like oh sh- i did a great job I yeah did and on a practical level um do not question or comment on the notes the, the proper response to every single note that you get is thank you. This I learned. Actually, I learned that from Alice. I oh, learned really? that attention to actors know that stuff better than we do. I'm sorry, they just do um, because they get way more notes than we do ever. So, um, yeah, Alice said, yeah, the proper response to a note is thank you. Mm. That's it. That's it. No, it's like, no, yeah, I thought we were doing it. In, I thought we were doing it the way we did it at rehearsal. But the last time we did it, it's like, no, none of that. None of that. Shut up. None of that matters in the moment. It's not relevant. At that performance, at that moment, the man in charge, man or woman in charge, says, this is what needs to be improved. And you go. Let's say it together. Thank you. Okay. So Yes, please. May I have another? <laughs> may I have another slap in the face and a crushed ego? <laughs> so, but I'm telling you, man, that, that's some of the best advice I can offer to someone getting into it. Thank, say, thank them for the note, period. End of discussion, literally, you know? 
What are some things drummers should never do in a Broadway pit as a sub or as the regular chair holder? Um, come in unprepared. Practice it until you can't screw it up. You know? Um, so preparation. Do, do not come in unprepared. Um, do not come in... Um, Compromised, stoned, drunk, whatever, you know. I mean, I can't do that, you know. But it just seems like a good idea, right? Um, so, yeah, keep have a clear head, you know, and because uh, that way you can anticipate anything that might go wrong. And, again, it's not if, it's when. You know, shit changes in, in that pit. Things can turn on a dime. So yeah, just be prepared, be clear-headed. Um, yeah, be respectful and kind to everybody in the building, you know. The moment you walk in that building, be cool to everybody. They're just doing their job, you know, and they've done that job six, seven hundred times at least before they or you ever walk in. So, um, yeah, be respectful and 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 uh, and good to everybody um, that you see, and uh, realize that there's a ton of really talented people in that building. Um, no matter what job it is, you know, stagehands, you know, wardrobe people, hair people, you know. Um, Stage managers, you know, everybody is at the top of their game or else they wouldn't be in that building. So remember that, you know, and you should be honored to be there because of that. What are some things drummers should always do playing Broadway shows? Yeah, preparation again. Um, Boy, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm focused on what not to do because (laughs) of the consequences in my life. Um, Yeah, just... You should always um, remember that shows close, you know, with a couple of exceptions, you know, so far. But, yeah, every all of this is temporary. And remember that um, your subs are valuable um, just because they are – we've all subbed. A friend of mine, uh, Jim Hirschman, guitar player, said we're all subs. It's just that every now and then one of us gets a gig, you know. So remember that uh, your subs are really valuable. Treat your subs, always treat your subs with respect and understanding and be as helpful as you can to your subs. Um, because, um, well, I mean, on a self-serving level, down the road, you'll be sub- subbing for them. There's that. But also just as good human behavior, you know, because they're under a lot of pressure and they're, they're you know, they, they don't have the luxury of, of having been in that room learning the show from day one. They have not played the show 600 times, you know. Their, their first shot is their might be their only shot, depending on the, the conductor and the environment. So, yeah, that, that, that comes to mind first. Be good to your subs. Rhythm Tech, Toka Percussion, Sabian, Gibraltar, DW, Vic Firth. You still mm-hmm. use all that stuff or you use other? I, I do, man. Every now and then. Don't tell John Good, but I sneak in a Ludwig snare drum every now and then. <laughs> they just make good snare drums, but so does DW. Um, yeah, I still uh, heartily endorse um, the DW line. You know, as a matter of fact. Nah, we're talking. All right, come on. Yeah. Now, why, why DW drums and not some other drum company? Um, I like their attention to detail. I like the craftsmanship. I've been, I've gotten the tour from John Good out in Oxnard, um, probably five, six times now. And every time, man, I'm just taken with how much they care about what they put out there. 
Uh, I like the resonance of D.W. Toms in particular. Um, and I just got a good relationship with John Good. I've been with those guys since the 80s. Um, you know, I have a more intimate relationship with those guys than any of the other companies that I endorse. It's a little more of a passive relationship with some of the others, uh, which I should <laughs> change. But uh, mostly, uh, I'm about uh, just on a personal level. I, I really like John Good and what he does out there. You know, uh, I've, I've been to his house, and he does like a Monday night football thing with all the the, the drum stars, you know, in in, uh, in L.A. So I've been to that a couple of times. So there's like a social connection with that. So anyway, but the, the product, the drums are amazing in my view. Um, so yeah, I just like what they, they do and I like their, their dedication to, to good craftsmanship. Did you have DW drums in the pit of Beetlejuice? I do, yeah. I, I do. I did, <laughs> yeah. Um, I had this beautiful maple kit that John made for me. Um, and yeah, I've used them... God, man, since 86, you know, wow. on everything. And when it wasn't V-drums, I've been with those guys since the 80s, yeah. When there was, like, not 100 endorsers. There was, like, just local L.A. guys mostly, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've watched them grow and, and become this iconic company now, you know, that owns everything. So, but this has been a total joy, man. It's good to see your face. And hopefully I'll, I'll, this virtual thing is fine, but I hope to see you in person and you know, Amen. on the one street, last, man. One last thing. Where can people find you? Um, Shannonfordmusic.com. Great. That's my website. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon Ford, for joining me on my podcast and I will see you soon. You got it, brother. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. Thanks, Clayton. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening. <laughs>